You're listening to the podcast of Always Forward, the church planting initiative of the Anglican Church in North America, helping plant gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches. For more information and resources, please visit always-forward.com. Hello, church planters. We're back. It is season two. Season two of the Always Forward Church Planting podcast, and back from a long summer break, I'm Canon Dan Alger, Canon for Church Planting for the Anglican Church in North America, and here with me is my really great friend and church planter extraordinaire, Sean McCain. How are you, Sean? Hey, Dan. we are friends, huh? We are friends. <laughs> I mean, I have to remind myself really that. Are. I have to. I have to remind myself no, that time good. to time. Yes, yes, we are. We're friends. We're buddies, man, and it's crazy that this is like the second season of oh, things. Yeah, we just started this, yeah, like yesterday. I know, yesterday, a oh, year it's so ago. Good to be back. I'm, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm super excited about the lining up of or the topics that we've got lined up, and um, and especially hearing the feedback, everything we've learned in this first year, meeting everybody at the assembly, seeing what really worked, and seeing what people uh, really love and need to hear. I- I'm I'm pretty pumped about this next season. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, just looking back at last season, we learned a whole lot. First of all, we learned that podcasting takes a, a lot of work. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of planning and then technical side of it and then scheduling and then content stuff and then and then the awesome part about interacting with folks who are listening as well. And so it takes a lot of work, but it's really it's really um um it, it's it's really worth it and it's so much fun and gotten to meet a lot of great folks and and the number of folks who are listening continue to grow. This I mean this thing has really kind of taken off in uh, in the reports that we get back each month on the numbers of folks are are increasing and we're thankful for that and the and and more so than the just the numbers because we're not really numbers guys but but just the depth of conversations that we've been able to have with folks and 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 um uh, and to spur some thought on and and the stuff that we've been able to learn too it's just a, it's really been a lot of fun I'm excited about I'm excited about season 2 Totally. Me too. Yeah. I'm in. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. In, season two, here we come. Here we are. And we're jumping in here this season right from the start with with some heavy stuff, really. I mean, uh, this, this, this podcast, this episode really came out of our conversations outside of uh, outside of the podcast itself, but just us talking on the phone through stuff. And we went, you know, we really need to have this conversation with other people. We need to do this on the podcast. And um, basically, what we're going to talk about is uh, how do you plant a church in this culture today? This really conflicted, fearful culture that that we live in. Um, because we just let's let's okay. So let's name some of the things that are currently happening right now. Just stuff that's in the news, stuff that's going on. Uh, what's a punch list of some of the things that are just happening within our country and around the world? Well, I'm in Austin, so you know I'm up to my ears in water right now because of Hurricane Harvey. Not actually, it's not that bad in Austin, but in Houston, basically the city's underwater, which is crazy. Yeah. And there's this humanitarian crisis that's going on, so that's happening. And, and no joke, that like affects us because you got churches canceling services, you got um, like yeah. relief efforts, you've got um, gas shortages, and I mean it's like a crisis. And so there's this like culture of fear that's already there that gets stirred up even more with hurricane season. Um, you, we just came out of Charlottesville, um, and, and everything that was so divisive about um, how uh, the, the, co- the country heard this and how the country even participated in communicating what was happening in Charlottesville, 
I mean, it, it was everywhere. You couldn't, you can't turn off the TV without hearing about the next controversy related to the White House or, um, well, we had the eclipse and that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was. You got that whole thing. That, yeah, yeah. That was. There's nothing wrong with that. Which was, that was just pretty. Which cool. was. Um, which was a uh, a sign of Christ's judgment upon the world, right? Isn't that what? It, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> See, it's you people, Dan. We got to deal with you people. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. And so then you've got this whole deal with North Korea and the 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 the, the fear that there's to oh, that there's that, that little that little um, <laughs> nuclear capabilities thing is kind of is kind of scary. And uh, hmm. then you have the Conor McGregor um, Mayweather fight that happened. That was amazing. Saturday. Did you watch the fight? Did you actually get to watch it? Am- and then you've got the the civil war in Syria. You've got you've got ISIS. Yep. I'm just totally avoiding your question. I totally <laughs> did watch the fight. It was incredible. I stayed up way too late Saturday night. Um, but 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 seriously, about the Middle East. You, yep. I mean, the Middle East is just chocked full of challenges and problems. Um, and so if you're going to do, if you're kind of awake and you have a pulse and you're, you have either a phone or a TV, you're, you're becoming aware of the world in which we're planting churches. And this isn't, I, I should say, and we got to point this out. This isn't just like headlines from around the world. There's also real local things that are yeah. happening in our communities um, that actually probably have in a lot of ways more significant impact on what we're dealing with in terms of our neighborhoods and the ministry we're up to. We've got, in, for instance, in Austin, um, we, we have got like a history of, of segregation in the town that still has like its residue in the way that Austin kind of organizes and, and does things yeah. uh, that we've got to deal with. We've got parts of town that are um, exploiting the poor through um, like title loan kinds of things. We've got um, uh, like the hung- we got the hungry all over the place. We've got the homeless. We have um, finance issues and all kinds of like family crises yep. with just parents trying to stay together and make it work. And Austin's housing prices and its cost of living is soaring. Um, so you got this whole, there's another crisis of just like sustainability. All of these factors, even, so these local factors and then these global factors are playing into the lives of these people that we are called to minister to. And yeah. I, it struck me, because this is the stuff that I'm dealing with, struck me, how do you plant a church and do ministry in the real world with these real lives without falling into those like most common pitfalls. Like how do you just avoid the landmines <laughs> and stay faithful to the ministry of the gospel Yeah, the best way you yeah, can? Yeah. And so, I mean, so our topic today, the, 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 uh, the, the depth of our conversation today is not how do we solve all these particular issues or not our opinions and thoughts on these right. particular issues, but just how do you, how do you navigate these things as a church planter where you are, um, you're stepping into a, the context of a culture that is fearful and cynical, um, but also looking for hope. Um, but, but, but you're new in, in an area in trying to plant a church that has to kind of prove its trustworthiness within, within a community. And so what do you stand up for? How do you do that? What's the best way to steward your public voice? Um, and, and and at the same time, it's okay to just admit that that we're we're struggling through these things personally of figuring out, of praying through and working through, asking for God's wisdom on what should our opinions be about, what should our stands be on a lot of these things because we we can just struggle with them personally. So how do you how do you handle this as a church planter? Uh, how do you how do you do that? Um, so Sean, tell us how do you <laughs> how do you solve oh, yeah. solve that well, problem I've got for us? Three <laughs> points for us. 
So add on top of all this, um, like, you know what, what I really struggle with, and I, this may be an interesting place to begin, is most church planters, like a great deal of the church planters in the, in the ACNA right now are, are younger folks mm-hmm. um, who don't have a huge memory of like world events, a, a personal memory of these events. They don't have this kind of repository of wisdom um, that maybe some of the older generations may have in trying to deal, navigate these very delicate issues. Um, and so, of course, you have this younger generation of people who are doing a lot of this work of planting, and we look ahead to those godly figures. Who do we, maybe that's a really good question, who are those mentors, those godly figures that we can look to for an example? And to be honest with you, Dan, um, we, we have like an incredible amount of, um, of really godly mentors in, in the Christian world. But a lot of them, a lot of the ones that we, that catch the headlines, you know, the, yeah. a lot of the ones that catch the world's attention are, seem to be not those people. And so it can be really challenging to figure out um, who, who is really speaking faithfully and in a godly way, who's demonstrating this. What's so hard about finding those right mentors is they're, they're often the ones that are silent or quiet and patient um, not all the time, but certainly a, l- a lot of the time, the people who are speaking up are not the people that we want to hear. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. And that goes, I mean, that goes back to the, the platform of, I mean, when we say they're speaking out, they have to have a platform on which to speak out. And a lot of the platforms themselves are, are more about uh, sensationalism than they are about journalism. Right. Um, and so, and so, so I, so I think, I think, the the point of wisdom that you're bringing out there is one of the things that we do to figure this out is that we look to we look to mentors um, and we 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 go to the right platforms. Where are where are the right mentors speaking? Are there are there people for you, Sean? That that are, are there people that are examples for this in you that you read or that you talk to that that are names that come to mind that help you navigate these times? Totally. But this is, I think, what's really beautiful. Another thing that's really beautiful about our tradition is that it's built to provide this kind of mentorship mm. for us um, in our bishops, in our canons, in the, the leaders in our church. We have got to look to them for mentorship and for, for leadership in these situations, especially for the younger generation. And And I hope that two sides of this. When I say that, I know some of us are thinking, yeah, but you know, not everybody's um, amazing or I, maybe I don't trust everybody. I don't know. Um, I, th- I, that may be the case, fair point, but I still think um, as, as, as Christians, we ought to be able to look to our canons and bishops and find that godly witness. And so we need to struggle to do that and we need to really lean in and, uh, and begin like open up those channels of communication and relationship for that. And on the flip side of that, our bishops and canons need to, and I know they do, so many of them, take seriously the role that they have in bearing that witness as a leader, um, especially in a time like this. So Dan, for instance, a really good example, Archbishop Foley Beach, he is always on the ball when he when something's going on and I'm thinking, well, what in the world am I supposed to say about this? Or how do I minister to our church now? What does it look like to pray right now? There will be some communique or some newsletter that comes out from the archbishop's office that acknowledges the thing that's happening and saying, here are some ways that you can pray personally. Here's some ways that you can join the church in praying. Mm-hmm. That to me is, is one of those things that just can't be overlooked. That is mentorship um, probably at its best because it's not just telling you what to think or, or how to behave, but it's actually inviting you into a way of inhabiting prayer in a time like this. Mm-hmm. We may not always have the right answers, but thank God we have um, 
bishops who teach us to pray in this kind of world, yeah, in this kind of context. Absolutely. So it's not only helpful for you personally, but it's also lending some prayer language to your church. So it's like discipling even your community with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you ask for names, like my, my bishop, Bishop Todd, I, I take his lead and I wait for his cue on things. If I have a question, um, he's really accessible to us and we call him up and say, you know, okay, Bishop, what do we do? What's this about? What do we do here? He's really gracious um, to hear us out. I have a, a handful of real personal long life mentors, in, including my own dad. And um, Dan, you know, I'll call you up. I've got other brothers who are church planters um, out on the West Coast that I have a long relationship with. I'll call these people up and say, what do we do? So, I, but I think in general, um, wherever you, whenever you're looking for these mentors, um, I think it's always good to have a constellation of mentors, as my bishop would say, a set of mentors, um, because certain people have um, kind of strengths in different topics and in, with different voices, and you know who you need to call and talk to when yeah. you're up against the wall with regard to a certain challenge, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, one of the things that's been really helpful for me, too, uh, is, is that, I, I mean, I have those names, too. I have, uh, I mean, Greg Goble, who is one of the, uh, who's been on our show uh, earlier last year with AnglicanPastor.com. He's, he works with me in planting a church out of Atlanta. He's the canon of the ordinary for our diocese. Um, he's, he's a good friend and someone that, uh, that I, uh, that I connect with. So I've got those, those names of, of individuals as well. And, um, um, but you know what, one of the things that's been really helpful for me in this last season is that, uh, is that in our local church, uh, just to try to help work through some of this stuff with, with the people in my church, um, I decided to do a shorter sermon series on, on, on Proverbs um, and just spending time in Proverbs, praying for wisdom and learning about what wisdom is mm. and uh, and remembering that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and uh, and just steeping steeping ourselves in 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 uh, this call of the Scripture to seek wisdom like silver and gold and to uh, and to pray for it and and to long for it and to beg for it and how valuable it is in the midst of of all this stuff that's going on in our lives. And so just spending that time in the scripture in that way has been, has been helpful for me in my heart uh, as well. And because it doesn't, it doesn't say um, search for all the answers like silver or gold. It says pray for wisdom. And it constantly reminds us that, that from the mouth of God is where wisdom comes from. And so um, calling out to him out of our dependence on him and uh, in knowing that truth is finds its foundation in him, just being reminded of those things in the midst of these changing, this changing and tumultuous culture that we're in has been really soothing for me. And I think helpful for our church plan as well. Totally. You know, one of the things though, when you're talking about wisdom, Dan, where I find the challenge is, so you listen to all your mentors, you're praying, you're reading scripture. I think one of the things I'm getting used to is trying to figure out sometimes how wisdom places you in a, in a position in which you, which is not going to be well received by anybody, by anybody. <laughs> That's, right. That's exactly like. right. Yeah. So sometimes wisdom. So I, I mean, I struggle yeah. with this. Uh, I even got up in front of my church a couple weeks ago and said, "Hey, here, you know, this is I think where God's wisdom is calling us in this situation." And I, I even had to say, "Look, I'm 34. I'm 35 now, by the way." That's right. Happy I, birthday, I was, by the way. It was your then. birthday the other day, and I oh, missed thanks, it. Man. I need to thanks. send you a cake or something. Sorry. You should. should make it an ice cream cake because that's my okay, favorite. I'll send you one in the mail. But anyways, <laughs> back to <laughs> wisdom. So preaching though, I was saying, look, I'm 34. 
Um, and I think it's okay because I don't, I think it's, it's probably a mistake to pretend as, as someone like my age that to our church that we've got some things figured out when we really don't, I think it's really okay to say, look, I'm, I don't have this figured out and I'm wrestling with this along with you guys, but here's, here's the gist of what I think God is calling us to do and to be as, as a faithful witness. I can, I think it can kind of cut the tension for you. It can cut the tension for your church and just kind of be real with people. Mm -hmm. Um, but besides, besides just kind of getting real, I'm really struggling lately with not struggling. I think I need more, I need years of wisdom to discern this, but sometimes wisdom, it seems places us in a, a context of suffering. Wisdom means suffering. Um, sometimes it doesn't, and that's awesome when it doesn't, but so often it seems like the church avoids suffering and then tries to figure out wisdom. And I think it's reversed. I think we've got to posture ourselves in a place of prayer and say, Lord, give us wisdom and whatever that brings to bear on our life, if it be it suffering, so be it. But also this is not an excuse to be a jerk and then to suffer for being right. a jerk. Right. Right. So I think, I think you can also interpret this in the, in the wrong direction where they're like, well, let's just give them the truth and, you know, screw them and they can, right. they can harass us because we're standing up for the truth. That's also not wise, nor is it actually truthful in the sense that oftentimes that it's not coming across with love. Right. There's no love. In, well, you know? I mean, and that is not true. Yeah. If if I can put a name to what I think you're describing is is humility, right? I mean, and so maybe this is one of the things that we yeah, say to our church planters is um, when we're asking how do we navigate, how do we plant this church, how do we do these difficult this difficult work in these difficult times? Well, we navigate it with humility, and that that true humility is not insecurity. Right, true humility is not insecurity of saying, "Well, I, well, I'm not good enough to be able to uh, to be able to to lead you through this," and so I'm just going to stay quiet on things. And I mean, it, um, humility is not insecurity; it's properly placed security. Right? It's 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 right. a confidence found in the image that we were created in the image of God and His continued presence and His Holy Spirit with us. And so, humility um, humility allows us to balance when it's when it's the right time to be silent and when it's the right time to speak and when we speak, how to do so with a tongue that speaks wisdom and brings healing rather than, uh, rather than one that brings about death. And so we can have, we can have, um, we can have strong thoughts on these things and, and be able to validate them with, within the scripture. But then we also have to figure out what's the proper way to communicate them. Right, I mean that we could be right in the things that we need to stand against. I mean, there there's there are just certain things within the church we have to stand against. Like we can't we stand against right. racism. I mean, yeah, absolutely we do. Now, right. now that's that's an easy thing to say. And then you back up from there, going, well, okay, well, how do you define that? And then you start getting into statues and all these. Like we back up from that and we go, okay, now we have to have humility. And how do we and and how do and, and what do we what do we stand for comes from the scripture. But then a humility in in how we communicate when. Is is it best to speak? How is it best to speak? What tone is it best to speak in? What's the proper platform to use in, uh, our voice in? That's that's wisdom and humility, I think. Right. And I think when in doubt, I mean, besides praying, call your bishop. You know, like, you know, like honestly, I, and I think the place where a lot of people are, it's like a sandbox for figuring out how to speak in public uh, uh, these days is Facebook or social media in general where people get on that platform, it seems like 
either way too early or not having actually thought much yeah. about what they're going to yeah. say. Um, and they end up processing in ways that are, at the end of the day, just not helpful, either to them or to the public. And you end up with this like cacophony of noise of everybody's got opinion about this. How do, and, and then as, so, and that's fine. I see, I see, you know, what, what's happening in Austin by watching social media. And sometimes that's actually, actually really insightful and helpful. But as a clergy person, I often realize that I'm not, um, especially on social media, I'm not speaking for myself. So many people seem to get on social media in our church or in kind of the world and you get to see, and it's a helpful insight, you get to see where people are at, what they're processing on social media, but so often it can be um, it's either like really premature, like they really should have just thought about this a little bit more, or um, maybe maybe it'd be really helpful to spend as much time in prayer as we do on social media. You know, I don't, I don't know how to, how to totally describe the phenomenon that we're seeing on this global platform that social media provides for us, which isn't, it's not the devil, you know, it's not evil. Um, but we are certainly a, a society still learning how to use this well. And even more so, I think we are a, a church still yeah. trying to figure out how to do this well. Um, and so that's like, that's like all Christians and lady, uh, in that situation. But then as clergy, I'm noticing, uh, I'm not sure, uh, maybe I'm off on this, Dan, you could tell me, but I have such a hesitancy to jump on social media and say certain things because, and when I do have to be very, very clear about what I'm saying, mm -hmm. because I realize I'm not speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for many, many other people. Um, I'm a part of a church and I, like locally I'm speaking for a community. Can you imagine if I got on there and said something that was really inflammatory yeah. to some of the folks in my church? I mean, it would just be, um, whether right or wrong, it would just be like not helpful, like how, and even kind of cruel that I would speak globally before, um, dealing in relationships with my own folks. I think, uh, the, we have to recognize that when we are planting a church and that we are, um, it, when we're leading a church, most of, most of the folks who are listening to this who are planting a church, who are the head planter, would be a clergy person, okay? And so when you when you are clergy, you your own personal opinion, you have to put in submission to the work of the church. And so you don't, you, you have, when you took your ordination vows, you, you laid a lot of that stuff uh, aside, not that you can't have your own opinions and not that you can't talk about them, but, but how to use them wisely for what is most healthy for the church. And so again, the timing, the platform, the way that you say it, the tone that you say it in, what is, you have to, you, you have, um, because you represent more than yourself, anything you say reflects upon the organization that you lead and Christ himself. And so we just have to speak a little more slowly, I think, um, and do a lot more thinking before before we throw something out on, on social media or comment on somebody else's stuff or... Uh, you just, you have to, uh, we have to recognize that responsibility that we have. Totally. Sometimes I see, I see even things that other clergy will post and I wonder, um, like, what are you going to gain <laughs> from dealing with this online? And honestly, and, and it may be like an entertaining conversation. Um, but, but in reality, we're dealing not with headlines or categories alone, but we're dealing with people. This is very, very personal for so many. And so yeah. we've got to be careful about our blind spots and the fact that we sometimes may be treating topics in a kind right. of sterile, disconnected from us way, when in reality, even people sitting in our pews 
Um, this is, you're talking about them. You're talking about their family. You're talking about something very personal to who they understand themselves to be. And we've just yeah. got to be really delicate with that. I, I think, um, yeah. I mean, I'm certainly learning this and I know that this is a struggle for a lot of us out there as we try to make sense of this. But I, I agree with that, Dan. Learning to speak slowly and also asking yourself, um, what, what, is, what is this going to actually accomplish? Is this self-serving? Um, right. is, is this just like trying to build a, an audience for myself or gain some attention for myself? Or is this actually serving real human beings that I've been called to minister to? Yeah, listen, and I get that there there are people who are going to be listening to us right now and saying, "No, if there are if if there's something that is against the word of God, it is our duty to stand up and speak against it." And like I get that. I mean, I'm I am I am an ENTJ and the Myers Briggs, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you like, are. like uh, I'm I, I'm I'm more prophetically oriented, I think, in in certain things, um, and so I get that from a fight or flight standpoint. I'm a fight guy, um, but we we have to. Again, it's just wisdom. We have to go. All right, when is this you verbally processing, um, and when is this you speaking speaking out in a proper way? And um, uh, you know, I, I think I think the most important aspect of this, though, is that we have to keep this perspective that that in the church at large and within our church plants, um, our primary goal is not to win the culture wars. Right, mm. like our primary goal is not to correct the moral ineptness of our culture or or the brokenness of our political system or anything else. Our primary goal um, is is the proliferation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that through the gospel, that's when all of these other that's that's where the culture is fixed, and that's where our politics is healed, and that's where uh, and and ultimately that's where redemption is going to come from. And so and so are we. Are we preaching the gospel well, um, and are we teaching our people how uh, what the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven has to do with the events uh, that that are around us right now? Are we helping to bridge that gap? And is our is our church plant a representation of uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? You know, I mean, right. is it uh, is is it is it a tangible? Um, outpost for the kingdom in that way. That's, that's, I think that's the way that we approach all of these things has to be gospel centric and how, and to, and to help teach our people a gospel perspective on things, not only on what is right or wrong, but also how the gospel ultimately brings healing in, in the midst of all of these things. That's right. What, you know, one of the things that I've often really appreciated um, in thinking through how to navigate politics as a minister, I think about Jesus, how he would tell parables. He would be confronted all the time with these really delicate, complicated, culturally charged issues. Someone would come up to him and say, well, what do you do about this woman who's been married seven times? Or, you know, or what or do you pay taxes? You know, these, these are like political matters. And Jesus always responds by reframing the question, by pointing out that the, that the assumption of, of that question is somehow flawed. And he ends up redrawing the rules of the game in some ways. And I, I think there's some wisdom in that for us of before we take the bait and adopt the rules of the game that the world gives us on certain issues, like, are you Democratic or Republican? You know, are you, um, everything's polarized. Everything's so binary. Before we um, jump wholesale into one of these categories, we've got to ask ourselves um, how, actually, I'm not an 
either of these categories natively. I belong in the category of the kingdom, and I've got to struggle somehow to reframe the, the assumptions around this issue. Is there a right. better question that I can be asking other than am I on the left or am I on the right? Um, there, are, there are better questions that I think the Lord gives us and his, his posture with telling parables and asking better questions, I think is something we could really utilize. And um, wh- one of the things, one of the ways really practically as Anglican church planters that this has confronted me um, is thinking about how the liturgy and the sacraments, okay, I'm, everyone's rolling their eyes because of course Sean's going to bring this to the liturgy and the sacraments, but it's true. <laughs> wait, but wait, Sean, Sean, did you say the word sacrament? I'm shocked. Okay. No, listen, I, I think I have a good point here, but how, one of the real concrete ways we can begin to work this out is by, as by looking at first the way that we're inhabiting the gospel message, like you said, Dan, in the worship life of the church and beginning to understand that, um, people say like, don't bring politics into the church. Don't bring politics into the pulpit. Well, too late. It's, in my opinion, the, the gospel is is really deeply political because it's concerned with the way we actually live our lives in society and the the way we do everything. And that's just basically politics. Um, and it's like so charged with language like the kingdom and the king of kings and Lord. I mean, there's this, yeah. it's just politically charged. So when we can get, get over that and go, okay, uh, we're not bringing anything into the church because the church is already concerned with everything. It's the most comprehensively public thing that we can be involved in. Um, once we get over that hurdle, we can actually begin to see that the sacraments and the liturgy are these gospel statements, these gospel, these claims about reality uh, that are gospel centric. And so to me, it's really interesting to ask like, so recently reconciliation has been something that the world has been starving for. Um, what does the peace teach us about reconciliation? You know what I'm saying? Or, um, hey, our identity is really up for grabs right now. Who, where do we belong? Well, what does remembering our baptism teach us about our identity? Um, what does the table, what kind of walls does coming to the table, what, what kind of socioeconomic and, and, and racial and um, political walls are overcome and broken down and, and ultimately just kind of um, re-envisioned when we all come to the table, one table? I think mm-hmm. to me, those are actually, not only are they good new touch points for us to, to inhabit the gospel and take on a fresh imagination for how to navigate these things, but they're actually embodiments. So we're teaching people how to behave, how to live, how to speak when we teach them to pray. We're, we're forming people for, with a kingdom politic to go and then inhabit the world. I think that's really significant. Yeah, no, absolutely right. I mean, and, and it comes back again to the, you use that word identity. Uh, that's that's where we have to start. Who who are we in Christ? Who is God first? Uh, who is God? And then we've been created in the image of God. And then uh, when we had become subject to evil and death, that God in his mercy sent his only son, Jesus Christ, right? And so to to uh, to redeem us and to recreate us. And so we have to approach all of these different issues then from from the identity of first we're made in the image of God, right? And we're we're not going to find any answers to any of these issues if if we if we work from the identity of Republican or Democrat or black or white or male or female or gay or straight or whatever. Like that's that is a that is a much farther down the line uh, question. We have to get back to what is our primary identity. So if if we're trying to apply this to church planters, what we're what what, what I think that we're trying to do here is say, look, um, 
there isn't an easy way to navigate these things, right? I mean, there's just, there's not a silver bullet. There's not a, there's not, there's not 10 points. Like that's why we didn't do the top 10 list of ways to engage (laughs) this really crazy culture that we live in. Right. I mean, but there's that, that at the heart of this, you said, you said, so it's so wise of Jesus asked better questions and he told stories and he changed perspectives. And the other thing that he did is that he, he, uh, he ate with people, right? He just, he spent time with them. He he loved them. He provided example for them. He cared for them. The the sinners and the tax collectors and the the people from from the the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the different political parties and the Roman zealots and I mean he he was with them, bringing a kingdom mindset and 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 loving people well. And so there's there's a certain aspect where as church planters, it, it's almost it almost feels too simplistic to say or almost cliche, but we have to make sure that we never think that the gospel is overly cliche or simplistic, but that's what it comes back to. The gospel of Jesus lived out in relationship, loving people well, and then begging for wisdom on, okay, as we're doing this work, how do we, how do we use our tongue? Well, right. How do we, um, how do we, how do we know the culture that we're in and tell stories that they'll understand that can help shape their perspective? Um, but it's all out of that gospel identity and sharing in the ministry of Christ. Totally. Well, Dan, I think um, one one of the things I think would be interesting to just kind of rattle off is thinking through what are some what are some of like the most practical tips that we can give from our very very limited, very very young perspective. Considering um, we're not that young, but you know what I'm saying. We we just don't have it all in view. We're not that old either. Um, I have a lot of gray hair, but not enough <laughs> to be able to answer these <laughs> kinds of questions. I think, uh, I think it'd be interesting to either point out some things that we've seen other people do, or perhaps some of the things that we've tried to do, not as these are the golden standard answers, but Hey, we think there's something in this direction that might be helpful for church planters on the ground doing ministry. And I, mm-hmm. um, I can, I'll kick off one that, uh, we certainly don't have dialed in, but is something we've done a few times. Um, in our church when that has, has gotten a really interesting and really positive response. And what I mean by positive isn't that um, it's people like it or that it gets a bunch of likes on social media, um, but that it's actually doing ministry towards shaping people into the likeness of Christ. Like it's actually confronting us really well and, and caring yeah. for people well. So one of the things we've done is, uh, at least one of the things I'm trying to constantly push back on in our world is taking the discussion off of this kind of disembodied platform of social media. Um, not entirely, again, it's not the devil. We don't have to totally avoid it, but actually trying to humanize that conversation, making it personal, making it local and concrete, um, by putting people in front of people that may sound really like elementary, but we found it to be really a profound experience for us. We have these things at res called uh, who's my neighbor conversations. And it's not even something we really publicize uh, quite a bit because it is designed to be a conversation our church is having with itself. So this is like a, in the living room of our church, the family conversation, Hey, there's some stuff going on in the world and we've got a fairly diverse church. And so we've got, um, people who represent all angles of this. It's a really great, um, community discipline to sit down and, uh, I'll frame, I'll usually frame the conversation say, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're not doing. Here's what's okay for us to do. Here's what's not okay for us to do. And here's the goal of our time together. Um, and then I'll invite people to listen, especially to voices that, um, 
maybe aren't listened to very often in these kind of hot topics or these these issues, these cultural issues. Um, and then and then as best as we can facilitate a safe place for people to, um, as a family, talk about these things. It's been really uh, we've learned a lot from it. We haven't again dialed it in, but in terms of of humanizing the conversation. And identifying that in the kingdom we're safe and we can actually speak to one another and process these things. We're not going to be, you know, you know, like run out of the church because we're bigots. No, you're safe to actually have like dumb ideas and for us as brothers and sisters to like talk to each other about that in love. Um, it teaches us to listen. It teaches us to reframe the issue and ask better questions. But it, more importantly, I think it actually gives us an opportunity to find out ways of undoing um, this like either sinful uh, or just um, you know unhealthy norm that culture has laid on us that we lay on ourselves um, as the church figuring out ways of working against the grain of these unhealthy issues. So we call them who's my neighbor. It's just getting together at the church and actually having a conversation about it. That's one thing we've done that's been pretty fun and interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of, um, it, it, this straddles the line between being practical and, and, and theoretical as well. But I think, I think there's, there's the idea here of uh, knowing your context, right? I mean, what, you've got these national issues uh, and global issues that are happening and how is that affecting your community locally um so for example uh, the church that i plant is in a uh, that i'm planting is in a uh, is is in a suburban context outside of atlanta right and we're in the south uh, as well all of that has bearing on how people are processing through this honestly the way that a lot of people around here process through this stuff is um well this seems really unsafe I need to figure out a way to make sure that my family is safe. Right? That, that's. I mean, people move to the suburbs to try to find a place of safety, um, and and if they want to stick their fingers in their ears and, and pretend that nothing's going on, you go to the suburbs to do that, right? And so, how do you, uh, you know, how do you, if if I'm looking at our uh, our culture here in this area outside of Atlanta in the South. Um, how do you how, how do I how do I help them ask the right questions? How do I how do I help them say there is a certain aspect where protecting your family is a good thing, but then there's also there is a, a social justice aspect of who we are as Christians. And so we we should be a part of of healing and participating in these things and of and of learning and of growing. And so how do we how do we meet them where they are with compassion for where they are? Because it's, it's, because it's easy to kind of roll our eyes and, and even have contempt for the cultures where we're planting sometimes. Um, but, uh, but having those conversations here in a suburban context is different than if I was planting an urban church in downtown Atlanta. Right. I mean, that's that's going to be very different uh, ideas of how to have these conversations and the nature of the conversations. And so knowing people well and contextualizing these conversations to be able to meet the people where they are and teach them how to be able to deal with this from a Christ-like perspective is super important. Yeah, that's and that's essentially like a missiological thing, right? That's we as church planners, if you're a missiologist, you should be good at that, <laughs> or at least have done it somewhat to some extent. <laughs> gotcha. I, I that's really good, Dan. Um, another thing I can think of that we do is a, a really interesting way of doing ministry to um, like our current cultural situations is in the prayers of the people. Um, we already pray for yeah. so much in the prayers of the people. Um, I have folks in our church who have 
learned, and it is not something that is easy, uh, I think, um, but crafting prayers that aren't reactive to uh, like headlines or current events, like we don't want to be just a reactive church. We actually want to, um, we want to define the conversation. We want to lead society in terms of the kingdom. We want to herald the gospel, not in always some reactive sense. Yes, let's respond. Um, appropriately to current events, but we also don't want current events to like dictate the agenda of the church's like preaching curriculum or schedule mm-hmm. or, Hey, this, you know, something crazy went down. So the prayers of the people are going to be super crazy this week. Uh, we want to avoid that. But at the same time, we also want to avoid being completely isolated from the world. We live in this world. So we've got this, this delicate thing to balance. One of the things in the prayer of the, uh, crafting the prayers of the people that I've really come to appreciate by our folks is that they are able to, um, in a very uh, non-reactive way, provide a language of prayer for the church. And again, context matters here. You you can't use the prayers of the people as a sermon. You can't. You should not use it to um, shove words into people's mouths. But you've actually got to. Uh, and this is the hard work. Learn to lead your people in good, in right prayer given their context, given who they are, given what is good and right in the kingdom, um, bring language. That's like such, that's a poet's job, really giving language for people to pray appropriately in these times. Um, another moment in the prayers at the very end of that, when the celebrant will often, or the officiant will conclude, uh, the prayers of the people with like a concluding, um, prayer petition. Um, if there is something that needs to be addressed that isn't addressed, um, and man, Dan, when this happens in the service, I can feel my heart racing. My start, my heart starts to beat when it seems like the spirit is like speaking, saying, Sean, you need to, you need to say something. You need to pray. You need to, you need to say this on behalf of your church and, and, and ask for God's healing or invite the church into prayer in this way. Um, and the reason it's such a nerve wracking thing for me is because um, sometimes it's just hard for me to tell sometimes. I don't trust my own wisdom um, and I trust the wisdom of the church and I trust the wisdom of those mentors of mine. But in that moment when the spirit is pressing me to uh, lead our church in prayer, um, I do that really, really carefully. But there's been times where um, responding to the spirit's leading and, and concluding the prayers of the people um, in, in, a, in the most godly ways I could possibly think, um, or at least that I can muster in, in my own flesh and bones, has been really um, a profound moment of ministry in the life of our church. Um, has really spoken in the moment to what's been on the hearts of our folks. That that moment right there can actually be a really powerful opportunity to lead the church in prayer. You know what I'm talking about, Dan? That concluding yep, yep. prayer. Yep, absolutely. We, you know, and I think that that you bringing up the prayers of the people and praying corporately uh, um, uh, um, leads into the the next point that I had, which was I, I think what I want to encourage our church planters and 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 all of us who are listening. I think one of the ways that we that we best participate in all in the, in the in the healing and the perseverance of our world in the midst of all these crises uh, is is to worship really well. Uh, I mean, because because I think that that it, it, if we for someone who doesn't have an eternal perspective, for someone who doesn't understand that Christ has come and that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again, that there's a hopelessness that is wrapped up in in all of these crises right. that we're in that that is that this this could be the end of the world this could be all the end of all of us this, but but we know that that 
that we win in the end, right? I mean, that Christ is, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and Christ is going to come and, and redeem all of this. And people from every tongue and tribe and nation will be gathered around his throne. And so we live with that living hope. And so if we didn't have Christ, it would make no sense to to worship, to sing in adoration with great joy, because because our joy would be would be would be uh, exhausted by all of this conflict that's around us right now. But we but we live in a greater hope, a hope that's greater, that's not dictated by uh, by our current situations, um, and uh, and so we we can be an amazing. Uh, example and witness within our culture when we can come together as a body and we don't just complain and we don't just grumble and we don't just talk about how bad everybody else is and we don't just be defensive. We come together and we worship. We come together and we sing. We come together and we thank the Lord for who he is and what he's doing. Uh, and that is that is completely otherworldly. Yeah, it's completely otherworldly. And I don't think that's just like, um, you know, pious lip service, like just go and worship, you know. Um, I think, it, Dan, it, to break it down in a different way, when, when you relocate the Christian life f- coming from worship, you're actually beginning to, to operate and live in the world uh, from a love and not a fear, which is profound. So yep. I think from, coming from a place of worship, now the church can actually speak prophetically. It can, it can balance that, that, um, that voice that the church has and must have, must always have, that is, is prophetic and comforting, that is winsome and challenging. You know, that trying to balance um, those voices, I think sometimes we can either get stuck in one or the other gears thinking, yeah, this is, this is the thing. Um, but, but we've actually, as a church, um, got to come from a place of, like you said, true hope, uh, like a concrete hope that Christ is going to come again, that the kingdom is at hand. Uh, we've got something to live for. And in fact, our loves have been so shaped by this reality, by, by knowing Christ himself, by, by consuming the Eucharist and being consumed into the life of God, that we can now enter into these conversations um, almost as if we've been in another land and have come back to yeah. it, you know what I'm saying? And come yeah. back to it to speak freshly, prophetically, not from a place of fear, not from a place of um, like, that is that is where anxiety controls the way we speak, um, but in a place of of gospel confidence and out of love. Um, that doesn't mean that um, we get to act as if uh, like disengaged or like we've got you know this doesn't really affect us, so we can kind of speak from that kind of place. That's not what all that I mean. I mean that we have a uh, an opportunity as a people formed in worship to speak and to live lives from a place of love. Again, which. Sometimes may mean suffering comes our way. Actually, mm-hmm. Stanley Harawas, I love this. And he says, you should be worried when the church isn't suffering for what it's saying. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. so it, which I think is really something that's I've been wrestling a lot with uh, in terms of how do we as the church not shy away from no-brainer things like church, I, a couple weeks ago, church, let's be clear. I know a lot of us are on the same page, but let us be clear about racism. Let us be clear about bigotry. Let us be clear about violence and hatred. These, are, these have no place in the kingdom. No-brainer. Um, but then that's actually, that's the beginning of the, I mean, that's, that's not the beginning of the conversation, but that's where um, a lot of these conversations begin. Now we've got to ask, okay, now what? Now, how do we live lives tomorrow that are motivated by love and a hope of the kingdom, rejecting all of sin, death, and evil, and all of its friends? How do you now disciple a church plant um, in the way of truth and mercy and of the yeah. kingdom? That's a whole yeah. nother... We can't just keep proceeding by, um, by saying what we're against. We actually have to live lives that are for something now. 
And I think that's where <laughs> our mentors come into play, kind of everything we've talked, up, uh, talked about so far. All that kind of rolls up into this next step of, okay, so then how do we live as, as right. kingdom people in this world? Well, and, and I think, yes, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that that's where, I mean, as we kind of have to bring this conversation, start to bring it to a close, um, I, I think that's that would be the primary message here uh, for our church planters is to say, listen, in, in all of these things that we talked about, we've, 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 uh, we've worked through where to go to, to try to find some peace and solace and some answers and some, uh, and, uh, and, and, and talked about some ways, some pitfalls that might be out there. But, but above all, what we want you to hear today is listen, uh, yes, we know that church planting can be scary and intimidating on its own. And then doing, doing the work of church planting in the midst of all of these other things that are going on could, can add a whole nother level of stress. And what we want you to hear is don't let these, the, the situation that is in our world scare you or intimidate you in the work of your church planting, but rather I pray that you are actually encouraged. And what I mean by that is you are a part of the solution. The solution, the thing that's going to bring about the change that all of us want to see is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that Jesus has uh, has uh, has proclaimed that his gospel is going to make it to the ends of the earth is through his church. And so you are church plenty. You are a part of the healing. You are a part of the miraculous work of God in the world. He has sent you out as a uh, as a part of his redemption of the world. And so, so know that he didn't send you out just as, and don't see church planting in kind of a deistic sort of way where he's given you the commission to go and then he's left you on your own. <laughs> you right. know, that, that he said, uh, I have, I, I'm sending you to go make disciples and I'm going to be with you always until the very end of the age. And so, so be encouraged right now when you look around to say, uh, oh my gosh, yes, we have a lot of work to do, but the hope that is needed is the hope that we're bringing through the work of church planting. So be encouraged, friends, as you go about Amen. this work. I'm with you on that, Dan. Echo that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, listen, uh, we got to kind of wrap this up because um, because we could talk about this all day, but um, uh, but we'd love to hear your thoughts as you listen to this. You can jump on our Facebook page uh, and as, as we just talked about social media, right? Um, that uh, uh, you can jump on <laughs> you can jump on our Facebook page and we can have some some more of these conversations uh, as uh, as we're able. Um, we uh, we encourage you to go to our website always forward.com and there's there's places for input there and for you to to connect and and as always if um, uh, uh, we we want to get this uh, the topics that we're talking about here out to as many people as we can, and so one of the ways that you can really help us do that is by going onto iTunes and leaving a uh, a review on there for us as well. And so uh, we'd appreciate if you do that. But um, but above all, um, just know that we that for you church planters and people who are on church planting teams and uh, the people who are supporters of church planters, know that we love you and that we're praying for you and that we're in this thing together and uh, and we really do win in the end. That's right. Amen. I think that's good news. And I, Dan, what you're saying about, the, about church planting being a response, this is the work that we've been given to do. It actually has a place in uh, the fulfillment of the end of the age. And uh, man, that actually gets me pumped up. So I'm, I'm yeah, grateful for that. Well, we'll continue yeah. to pray for all you church planters. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. Uh, you're going to love our next season. We can't wait to unroll some of these topics with you. I think you're going to love them. Uh, but until then, Signing off. We love you. Uh, keep up the good work. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain, and we are here to walk alongside of you in every way that we can. Bless you.
Thanks for listening to the Always Forward podcast. Visit us at www.always-forward.com for more resources, to submit your questions, or to interact with us. See you next time.